remember when the pandemic started and if you got, if you received exposure, the health department called you and asked you who you've been with and who you may have exposed and things like that. And, and now we don't have that. Health department hadn't called me in a minute. Now we just kind of assume it's everywhere. Now we assume that there's no safe place. Now we kind of assume that it is what it is and it's a global pandemic. When our original mom and dad, Adam and Eve, chose to say yes to what God said no to, sin entered the world. And I want you to, to kind of think about it, is that sin escaped the lab in the Garden of Eden. Affected humanity, and not only humanity, but the entire creation, the entire world. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that creation is waiting to be made new again, to go back to square one. The Bible says... Creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That word for frustration there means it knows that the conditions that it's in right now stink, but it has hope. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That would have been man, Adam and Eve. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought to the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that all of creation is doing what? Oh man, when are you coming back, Lord? When are you going to make everything right? When are you going to remove this virus of sin from creation? Revelation is God's plan to do just that. A new heaven and a new earth filled with people who love God. His plan was written on a scroll. There were all kinds of judgments that poured out of it. We saw the scroll that was sealed with seven seals and the four horsemen of the apocalypse came out of it. The Antichrist, wars and earthquakes and pestilences and nations raging against nation and brother fighting against brother. We've seen some trumpets blown. We've seen where the, angel was, uh, the, the devil was kicked out of heaven for the very last time. He was given the keys to the bottomless pit and he re released the most vilest, horrific demons that have ever existed. Perhaps the demons that caused the flood. They're released on the earth for five months. All kinds of catastrophe. Salt water. Well, a third of the, uh, the, the oceans are, are no good. Fish die. Salt, uh, uh, fresh water, you can't drink it, it's no longer portable. Uh, there is a swarm of demonic forces that go all over the globe, and it's, it's hell on earth. We saw that in chapter 9 just last week. If you didn't hear that message, go back to YouTube or on Spotify and you can listen to that. Revelation 10 is a change of scene, it's a change in the action. If 9 was on the earth, then in chapter 10 we see an intermission and we put our eyes in heaven. It's a break in the action between the sixth and second, uh, the sixth and seventh trumpet. The way there was a break in the action between the sixth and seventh seal. All right, let's look at the mystery of this angel. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to look Roman uh, Revelation chapter ten, and uh, y'all, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the odd, and you respond back with the even. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head, and his face was like the sun, and his Legs were like pillars of fire. Church? And he gave a loud shout like a roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write it down, but I, I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Church? Church? 
And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, and the earth and all that's in it, and the sea and all that's in it, and said, There will be no more delay. Church say angel. Have you, uh, have you ever noticed that despite what's often depicted in books and on television, angels are typically displayed as little fat babies with bows and arrows? Uh, but I want you to understand that angels are not that. They're not that. They're not the androgynous looking flowing blonde hair who are soft and gentle. That's not the picture we get in the Bible of an angel. In fact, the picture that we get in the Bible of an angel, typically they are a big, strong, uh, warrior type of, of, of person. Uh, a big bulging man, to, to borrow the term from uh, the Griswolds. Uh, they were powerful. They're real. They are, they are, they are present. They're, they're big. And, and church, if you're a Christian, angels are a part of your life. If you're a Christian, angels are a part of your, uh, of your life. They're real, and angels are not what Christians become when they die. Dwayne Schaefer did not become an angel. Kaylee, uh, Kaylee didn't become an angel, alright? Christian, you don't become an angel when you die. You're, you're a saint. Angels are created beings. Jesus did not die on the cross for an angel. He died on the cross for Glenn. He died on the cross for Tim. He died on the cross for us. So, angels... Why did God make them? Why are they there? Hebrews chapter 1.14. To me, this is an incredible promise. It says this, Are not all angels, are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Are you a born-again Christian? God created the angels to serve you. To help you. To protect you. To be there for you. He's given His angels charge over you. The angels are protectors for the Christian now, but the angels will be bearers of judgment in the end time. The angel here is often identified, and in my opinion, uh, errantly, uh, sometimes Bible scholars say that this angel is Jesus. I don't believe that, and I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I'm going to call foul on that. Nowhere in the entire book of Revelation is, ever, uh, is Jesus ever called angel. It's not in there. Uh, number two, in verse one, we see these words, and I saw another angel. Another angel like what? Well, the ones that you've already seen in the last ten chapters. The one that comes out with the, uh, the one that comes out with the mountain. The one that comes out with the comet that hits the, uh, the earth. The one that, that releases pestilence. It's another angel, just like the ones that we've seen in the past. Uh, throwing stuff into the oceans, causing global, uh, e uh, ecological disaster. I've read names like that. Maybe this was Gabriel. Maybe it was Michael. Truth of the matter is, uh, I don't know. But I will tell you why I don't think this, this being is Jesus. It's all, in the, it's all in the direction of the voice. The Bible says in Revelation 10.8, Then the voice that I heard from... It wasn't the angel speaking. It was the voice from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that's in old big boy's hand standing on the sea and on the land. Now, y'all, I'm speculating here when I say what I think is on that scroll. But I think what's on that scroll is the scroll that we've seen since the very beginning. The seven-sealed scroll. The little scroll that contains the redemptive plan and all the judgments and all the trumpet judgments and all the bold judgments and all the calamity of the great tribulation. I think that that is what is on the scroll. I don't think it's another scroll altogether i think it's the one that we are familiar with i think this is the scroll that was opened up that made heaven shut up for 30 minutes because it was just like dang that's bad 
That's what I think this scroll is. The angel holding the scroll, Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. He was holding a scroll, a little scroll, which lay open in his hand, which is to say that this is fulfilled. This is happening. Uh, I'm thinking we've seen this little scroll before, Revelation 8, 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for 30 minutes. I believe this is that same scroll. This scroll's in big boy's hand. Angel's got one foot on the land, got one foot on the sea, holding the little book in his hands that contains all the judgments how God is going to bring humanity back to Him, restore creation that it is moaning to be restored for now. I believe that's what's on the scroll. So uh, punishing the wickedness of humanity is on the scroll. Uh, reject, uh, the rejection of God's beautiful grace is now going to be received the full blunt of God's wrath. I think that's what's on the scroll. It, the entire world is under the judgment of God. The end time clock is running. If you're wondering why the angel had one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, it's because there's not a square foot on this planet that will not experience the judgment and wrath of God you can't go to the bottom of the ocean to avoid it because it's there too you can't go to the top of Everest to avoid it because it's there too the entire planet is being brought under the judgment of the holiness of God church this angel isn't Jesus but this angel does point us to Jesus y'all the powerful angel moves with the power of the spirit the powerful angel moves with the anointing of God the powerful angel moves as one who's only been close to Jesus can he opens his mouth and seven prophecies sound out they sound like a furious roaring sound from the angel's mouth wouldn't you love to know what that angel said wouldn't you love to know what John was told not to write. Now there's all kinds of crazy speculation out there and I'm not going to bother you with that. But I will tell you a few things the way people uh, will speculate what these thunders are. But no, before I even preach that, we don't know. There are three main directions you can go with the thunder. Number one, some people think that this is a mystery that is known only to God. And there are some things that God only knows. Things that are secret to God that He keeps for Himself. Deuteronomy 19.19 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. I, I don't think that's the case. It could be. But this is the book of Revelation. Okay, It deals with exposure. It deals with revealing. So that may or may not be it. The second one is, is maybe God gave this to John specifically. It was just a special instruction for him. It was, inde- it was an intended uh, revelation for John. But I don't think that's the truth either. Now, God does speak to you and me individually. He does speak to us with special instructions. Uh, but I don't think this is it at all. Because Revelation chapter 1 is written to the church. It's written to you and me it's for us it's not just for John so that leads me to the third direction and, and to me this makes uh, the absolute uh, most sense what if the seven thunders is actually the same content that was in the little scroll the same scroll that we've seen the reason for holding this interpretation is that after John is told to seal up the message of the thunders he's told now eat the little book eat the little book that, that the angel's holding not what the angel said but You eat the little book. Moreover, that same voice from heaven, which I believe is the voice of Jesus, told him to seal up the message of the thunders and tell him to take the book and to eat it. Up to now, John's done nothing but watch. Up to now, John has done nothing but speculate. This is the first time that John is actually brought into the equation. He says, okay, John, this is the plan, but you've got a part to play. Oh, gosh. My... uh, John, I've got a plan, but you've got a part to play in it. I have this scroll, and you've got a ministry in it. Church, the reason why John was told to to eat the book is because he is going to participate. He is going to absorb the prophecy. He is going to internalize the prophecy. And now God is saying, okay, you got it. Now go tell them. 
You've got it. Now go tell the world. The, the princes and the tribes and all of those things. The meaning of this seven thunders will be known when God decides to make them known. But the mission of believers is to tell the world about who is coming and what is coming. Church, this isn't the first time I really wanted to know something from God. And he didn't tell me. You ever ask God for something and He doesn't tell you? Why did Billy go through his cancer scare last month? I never got an answer on that. What about that little nine-year-old girl who was raped by a family member? Or maybe you've said, God, how come you don't tell me? Why, why, why haven't you told me why you took my child? Or why haven't you told me why, you, why my marriage is shot? God, why didn't you ever tell me why I lost my job or my dad died? God, why don't you ever tell me? Why, why didn't you ever tell me why my sobriety struggles or my health is failing? God, why don't you tell me? How come you don't show me just a little bit about why I went through the divorce or why I went through the season in my life? Maybe you've asked God questions, hard questions, and you never got an answer either. And maybe it shattered your, maybe it, maybe it shattered your faith. Maybe your faith stumbled. But, but, but y'all, let me tell you something. If we had all the answers and all the signs, and we only moved when God gave us a sign, or when you know God made a, little, made a little bird land on a tree at just the right time, church, if we're depending upon signs to follow God, if we're dependent upon things like that to follow God, that's not living by faith, that's living by sight. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. He doesn't have to do another cotton-picking thing. He's God. And just because He chooses not to tell us why we go through the hell we go through, it doesn't mean that He doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that, that He has flushed us. It doesn't mean that He's not keeping track of us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that the just will live by and not by sight. You've seen that in there somewhere too. Y'all, the one on the throne is our Heavenly Father. The one on the throne is our Abba. The one on the throne is in control. And after we establish the fact in our hearts that we trust that Father knows best, it's easy to just say, okay, God, I may not have all the answers, but I know You're the answer. Ms. Schaefer, I don't think God hides things from me. I think He hides things for me. I'm afraid if I knew all the reasons why I went through what I've went through, I may not make it through this day. And so I trust Father knows best. When God speaks, church, those who are closest to Him can speak with that same authority. This is cool. Remember the angel with one foot on the land, one foot on the sea? That dude is not Jesus, but he's speaking with the authority and the power of Jesus. That heavenly being who moves in the power of the Spirit and stands in the authority and the glory of Jesus. The angel who had spent time worshiping in Jesus in the holy place. Worshiping Him in His presence. This angel who lived in the perfect will of God spoke with the power and backing of heaven when He opened His mouth. Church, when you obey God, we position ourselves in a place of authority and our words become just as certain as the will of God itself. There are power in your words. When God speaks, He speaks with unlimited authority. When God speaks, He creates things with the Word. Let there be light. <laughs> what about when you and me speak? How can we speak with the authority and the, the anointing of Jesus? How can we speak with the authority of heaven? Great question. 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask, church, say ask. 
You ask with words. You ask with a prayer. You ask with communication. That if we ask anything according to God's will, God hears us. And if we know that God hears us, whatever we ask, we know that God, uh, uh, we know that we have what we ask of Him, God. Church, there is power in words. There is unlimited power when we speak the words of God. When we speak the words of God, something special happens. You see, when God speaks, He creates. When you and I speak, all we can do is shape. When God speaks, He speaks with unquestionable, unlimited authority. When we speak, the only authority we have is when we speak according to His will. When we are speaking the will of God, those words come true. When we are speaking the will of God, those words come into fruition. We can't speak words into existence, but we can, I'm sorry, we can't speak worlds into existence like God does. But I'm going to tell you what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to bring my private world into the alignment with the will of God. I may not be able to change the world, but I can change my world. People run around all the time, Christians. In the name of Jesus, I claim I need an airplane. Or in the name of Jesus, I'm going to claim my million dollars. I don't think that's what that means. I don't think that's what that means at all. What I think that means is this. We can declare healing because that's the will of God. There's healing in His wings. We can declare freedom because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. We can claim deliverance because Jesus is the freedom fighter. We can claim salvation because there's no other name under heaven by which men are saved. And that's the name of Jesus. That's the will of God. We can speak blessing because we are told that it's God's desire to bless us. These are the things that we can speak with absolute certainty. Why? Because it's God's will. When we speak... We can speak, but church, first, God must will. We can speak, but God must first will. The power of your words is directly proportional to the depth of your surrender to Him. The reason why the angel could speak with authority is because he had spent time with Jesus. You ever wonder why the reason when you declare things that you know is according to the will of God, it doesn't happen because you ain't spent enough time with Jesus? You've not spent time in worship. You've not spent time in His presence. When we speak, the words have power and they have authority, but you want to supercharge them speaking the authority and the will of God. Preach, what do you mean by that? Help me understand that. It's kind of fuzzy. All right. If a popo goes into my house today and steals all of my... Let's, let's, let's say he takes my Alice Cooper tickets, okay? That would be a bad day. He's got the badge. He just comes to my house and takes them, them tickets. Did he break the law? Yeah, he did. He don't have a warrant, but he's a cop. But he's breaking the law. Yeah, but he's got the cop car too. Okay, he doesn't have a warrant. He can't come into your house and just takes things from you because he's a cop. Christians say all the time, I declare that this is the year, blah, blah, blah. Or I declare that the healing, or I declare that you're going to be prosperous, or I declare that blah, 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 in the name of Jesus. It's the same thing as a cop going into your house without a warrant, taking stuff that doesn't belong to him. He's breaking the law. Church, when you speak for God, and it's not what God wants, just because you got the badge and you come to church, it doesn't mean that those are the words of God. We still have to operate underneath His will. The only reason that cop can come into your house legally is with a search warrant, and then... And then he can only do what he's allowed to do by the law. Church, as a Christian, the only thing we can do is what is according to the will of God. Cop, thank you. Wow. 
Thank you. Let's talk about the mystery of the little scroll. Dang it. I can't make any of this up. Nobody would believe me if they... Oh, yeah, that's great. No, you can't. Thank you, Lord. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. This is verse 8. We're going to look at the little scroll. God took the scroll that lies open in the hands of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. And I'll turn your, it'll turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it'll be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. I, I tasted, uh, I tasted, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my, I got heartburn. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Let's talk about that scroll. This isn't the first time that somebody's eaten a scroll, and I know that that does not sound appetizing, but there's a symbol behind it. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 2. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, Ezekiel, and it was a scroll. Okay, we get that. But it was unrolled before me because it contains judgments for Israel. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, Ezekiel, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll and then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Y'all, that thing, if you read the rest of that story, that thing is the same thing. It tasted sweet in Ezekiel's mouth, but it gave him heartburn. It upset his stomach because the judgments in it were horrible. It was bad things coming for the nation because they'd wandered away from God. Church, God's Word stirs our heart. It activates our spirit. It brings encouragement. It brings hope and it brings peace i don't know about you but as a christian i get excited when we sing songs like how great thou art there's something in my heart that is stirred when we sing at the midnight cry i'll be going home or when schaefer sings ain't no grave gonna hold my body down man when we begin to sing them songs there is something in my spiritual dna that vibrates and it resonates it excites me i love singing songs about heaven and glory and walking the streets of gold and being in the presence of my Savior Jesus. When I hear a message like that, it does something in my spirit. I can't wait to get there. I'm looking forward to going. And when that happens in a service like this, I want to jump a pew. I want to raise a hand. I look out and I see you guys worshiping. And i got to admit, man, sometimes I wonder, do they know how good their salvation is? If we knew how much God loved us, I wouldn't have to beg you to worship. Preacher, I don't worship like that. You better get used to it. Have you ever read what happens in heaven? You complain too much, maybe they'll get rid of you up there, okay? They're not going to have a business meeting to see what we want. That's not in the notes, and if I offended you, I'm sorry. Uh, When we, took, when, we, when, we, when we take our look at Revelation, there's some ugly things in there. Four horsemen, nations raging, disease, people dying, ain't no food, financial collapse, society collapsed, antichrist is in power, mark of the beast, great tribulation, nation against nation, brother killing nation, martyrdom of the tribulations. I'm going to be honest with you. I love to read about the good old story, but when I start reading like this, it makes my stomach sick. It hurts. It hurts. It's scary. Not scary in the sense of, oh my gosh. But just, I feel sorry for the people going through all that on this earth when that happens. 
How can that same message that makes us want to jump a pew, how can that same message scare some people to death? Let me tell you why. You ever had something both sweet and sour? Chicken, beef, pork, absolutely. Let me tell you something about the message of God. It's both sweet and sour. In fact, it's both foolish and powerful. 1 Corinthians says this. For the message of the cross is... It's foolishness if you're trying to get to heaven on your own. But the message of the cross, for those of us who are being saved, what is it? That message can both be sweet and sour. Before we were saved, church, we didn't get it either. Before we came to Christ, we didn't get it either. Maybe you heard God speak to you, and maybe you thought, who are you to tell me who I can love? Who are you to tell me whether I can stay with this person or not? Maybe before we got saved, we said, who are you to tell me who I can forgive? Who are you to tell me who I can't hate? Who are you to tell me what I can do with my weekends and my money and my time? Who are you to tell me? Oh, but then we went to the cross. Then we heard about how much God loves us and how He's prepared a way for us to avoid judgment and hell and condemnation. Then we heard about a God who wants to give us life. And when we used to say, who are you? It changes. said, oh my God, I'm sorry. Who am I? I am broken. The message that made us mad before now gives us joy. The word that we at one time despised and rejected and refuted soured our stomach. But then something happened. We get like John and well, I mean, we get like old Peter in John 6 68. He said, Lord, you've got the words of life. They're no longer words of death or words that, that make, up, make us upset. These are the words that make us celebrate in a gathering like this. These are the words that we study in a connect group. These are the words that we study in our private time. Church, if these are the words of life, Oh, listen to me. I'm going to tick some of you off now, but I I love you. If this is the only Bible time you get during the week, you're starving to death. If this is your Bible study, your inner man or your inner woman is starving. And when you're going through hell and you wonder why your faith is weak, it could be because you're eating one meal a week. Do you hear him say amen? It's powerful. It's it's true. I love you. I ain't got all this stuff down. I'm working through it myself. But church, nothing's going to change in your walk unless something changes. Let's go on. Good enough. Church, say good enough. Are you a good enough Christian? Don't please don't answer that alone. You look like Jesus. Good enough. I love what old DeGroff said in the 10-second reel. He said, good enough is the difference between being religious and a person being sold out and surrendered to Jesus. Partial obedience is what it's called. Now, partial obedience or being a good enough Christian, it'll wreck your walk. It is kryptonite to the Christian when you think you're good enough. This is what it sounds like. I'm a good enough Christian. I read my Bible every day. I'm a good enough Christian. I give my offering once a week. I'm a good enough Christian because I came to church twice this month. I'm a good enough Christian because I prayed more than what I usually do. I'm a good enough Christian because I'm coming to a connect group or I'm thinking about going to a connect group. Preacher, I'm good enough. 
I listen to Christian radio and I even wear a bracelet. Mike, I'm good enough. Preach, what are you looking for? You've already asked me to be here three out of four Sundays. What more do you want? You've already asked me to come to a connect group. What more do you want? I'm not looking for a daggone thing. But can I tell you what Jesus is looking for? Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, all you got to be is good enough. All you got to do is give it your best shot. An old Chester try. Jesus said, if you want to come follow after me, you better get used to saying no to the things I say no to and yes to the things I say yes to and start denying yourself, pick up your cross, and then get your tail following me. What part of that sounds like good enough? What part of that sounds like God's okay with partial surrender? Good enough is kryptonite to you, Christian. Let's strain our good enough commitment through Matthew 16.24. Going after Jesus isn't checking boxes. Going after Jesus isn't a spiritual to-do list. It is a life that is lived moment by moment with a supreme purpose to look like Jesus. That's your purpose as a Christian. That's it. The supreme purpose is to look like Jesus. Do you look like Jesus? Good enough. Good enough is the difference between a religious person and somebody who is sold out for Jesus. Believer, we know that God's judgment and grace and salvation... I don't have a watch on, so you guys are just at the... I can't even see the clock. Uh, Believer, we know about God's judgment and grace and salvation secured for us on Calvary. That grace is available to all who believe by faith. That's good news. The cross message is good news. Let's not... Here's the thing. The message you got that's going to take you to heaven, let's not tell anybody about it. Let's not tell anybody about how to avoid hell. Let's not tell anybody how to avoid the trumpets and the, the bowls and the seals. Let's not tell anybody. We're going to heaven. To heck with everybody else. How about it? Y'all cool with that? Then why are we shutting up? Why don't we ask people to church? Why don't we share our faith? You know, in a real sense, if we don't share our faith, we're basically telling them to go to hell. The word and truth that changed you is the only word and truth that changes anybody. How will your kids know if you don't tell them? How will your mom and dad know if you don't tell them? How will your co-workers know if you don't tell them? How will your grandma and grandpa know if you don't tell them? How will their students that you go to school with know if you don't tell them? They're not. They're not. It's down to us. Listen to what Jeremiah called this fire in his bones about something that's in his spirit. Jeremiah 15. And I thought about this, and I don't know if I've ever felt like this in a long, maybe a long time. But Jeremiah said, God, when your words came, I ate them. I devoured them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. I'm telling people about the judgment that's coming. I'm telling people about the tribulation that's on the way. I'm telling people about the Antichrist that's rising. I'm telling people about what is coming down the pike. 
Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me to insult and reproach, uh, reproach all day long. What Jeremiah is saying is, nobody out there wants to hear about you, God. Nobody wants to hear about your grace. Nobody wants to hear about holiness. Nobody wants to talk about that. They hate me. They hate my voice. They hate the sound of my voice. My God Almighty, is he in America 2022? Nobody wants to hear the message of God. I'm not making any of this up. I'm just giving you the Bible as it is. I don't know about you, but so far, I've walked in them sandals. I know what he's talking about. But if I say I won't talk, I won't mention your name, I won't speak anymore about you, his word is already in my heart like a fire. It is shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. And in fact, Jeremiah said, in fact, I won't. I'm just going to go ahead and speak. Church, if you don't have that fire in your bones, you've got to understand something. There's nothing wrong with the fire. Maybe it's your bones. You're hearing a message today that I got a feeling that many, many pulpits will never preach. If people don't hear the message of God's love from you and me, they may not hear it before the seals are broken. Kunder, if they don't hear it from you and me, they may not hear it before the trumpets blow. Dave, if they don't hear it from you and me, they may not hear it before the bowls spill. Our main prayer ministry in Chester is pray and go. And I hope to God that you fill out and you get a part of that. You only have to do it about once every month and a half. Our main prayer ministry for Chester is pray and grow. But let me tell you something. Our main preaching ministry in this town is not Mike Fogerson. It's you. It's you. And it's you. And it's you. Who do you need to introduce to Jesus? Go ahead, baby. Who do you need to introduce to Jesus? Who do you need to invite to church with you this week? Some people you live with need to be invited to church. Some people maybe you you go to school or you work with. Maybe you shoot ducks with them. Maybe you shop sales with them. Maybe you sip sangrias with them. They need Jesus. I wrote that down. I'm going to tell you exactly what I told them last night. Some of you are offended that Christians drink sangrias. Can I tell you something? What burns my biscuits is when people will judge another Christian for doing something like that, but they've got a daggum next door neighbor to them that they've lived next to for 20 years and they've never shared the love of Jesus with them, never invited them to church. You want to ask, you, you, you tell me which one offends Jesus. That neighbor going to hell. You don't love him. And you're worried about some dude over there having a glass of wine. Are you crazy? My God, do you see the people who Jesus hung out with? The whores and the drunks. Oh, preacher, we're better than them. Really? Jesus didn't. You're not called to be your brother's judge, my friend. You're called to be your brother's keeper. Protector. Doctor. Helper. Being responsible for the welfare of another being, another person. Church, we got to tell them that death is coming and hell's riding with them. Well, preacher, that's not what the Bible says. Yes, it does. Matthew 28 says, Therefore, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm even with you till the trumpets blow.
Oh, preach, are you sure? Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know when the trumpets are going to blow. My Father has got that in His hands. But you will receive power from the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Chester and to all the earth. Church, this is our job. It's our job to tell people that judgment's coming, but God has a beautiful plan for you to get out of it. Church, you'll see. I got a feeling. You'll see the last several months of time, the trouble that we've been having. I believe this with all my heart. I'm not being, a, I'm not being flippant about it. I think that right now, that, that what we're going through, you can't even find a daggum mega stuff Oreo cookie in Randolph County. Uh, I've had a hard time finding bread. I've had a hard time finding just staples, okay? I promise you, when all this stuff hits the fan, they're going to call this the good old days. This will be the good old days. we got to tell them that hell's coming and death's riding with him. Revelation chapter 10. Verse 11. I want you to look at this verse. The text says, Then John was told, You must prophesy to everybody. But this time I want you to do this. This time Cooner was told. This time Brandy was told. This time Ken was told. This time Lois was told. What were you told? Linda, what are you being told to do? Prophesy. Preach. Tell them what's coming. Cooner, that's your job. Dad, that's your job. Mama, that's your job. Church, we got to tell them that death is coming and hell's riding with it. Who do you need to tell about the sweet message of salvation? Who do you need to invite to church with you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Y'all, there were some tremendously sweet parts to this message and there were parts of this message that made you have heartburn. I get it. If that teaches you anything, it means that the Word of God is true and accurate and it's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll take bone from marrow. That's how sharp it is. The reason why your heart's sore right now is because the Holy Spirit's been doing some surgery on you. He's already working on you. For some of you, man, that whole idea of, oh, I've been thinking I'm good enough. For some of you, that rocked your socks off. For some of you, the whole idea of you being called to prophesy to your neighbor or your, your, your mom, your dad, your students, your teacher. That was, a, that was a fresh word of revelation for you. It's every head bowed and every eye is closed. I want you to think about that person that, that you need to tell about the coming judgment. That person you need to tell about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the plan of salvation for God and the gift of salvation for people. I want you to think about that person who needs it. Do me a favor. When you got that person's name in your head, just say, yep. You just say, yep. Yep. Anybody else? You got that name or that person's face in your, in your, in your mind. The Holy Spirit's put it on there. Just say, yep, I got to preach. Wave at me something. Do something. All right. Anybody else? Perfect. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I just want to lift up every, every prayer and every hand and every, every gift that's been lifted to you this morning. Father, because they represent obedience. They represent people that you want to save. They represent people that you've placed in our heart. 
to tell about your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would not let us off the hook from this place. God, if we leave here today thinking good enough is good enough, deal with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to sing. Guys, what are we going to sing? I'm gonna, would you please stand, church? like to come and pray for the person this morning would you like to come forward to pray for the person you're going to be inviting this week maybe you need to pray for a family member or a co-worker or somebody you go to school with pray that God would give an opportunity for you to invite that person maybe God would soften their heart before you even got there would you pray for them you don't have to do it but 10 15 20 seconds just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do the work for you before you get there would you come right now Thank you. I can guarantee you it's the will of God for them to be saved because the Bible says that God wishes none to perish. Come to the altar, the Father's arms Every head bowed, every eye closed. I think I have the freedom to say this, and I may not. And if I don't, then God, forgive me. Then just God, forgive me. Men, ten people came up this morning. One of them was a man. Ten people came up. Nine of them were women. Where's my men of God? Where are the warriors for the home? Where are the men of God? You mean to tell me the Holy Spirit only speaking to women this morning? My brothers... God, tell my brothers right now in the name of Jesus, the co-worker, or the family member, or the neighbor, or the butcher, or the welder, or the golfer, or the hunter, or the fisherman, whatever man you've placed in their life. And God, you just make it crystal clear for them. And I ask this in the name of my Savior and my King and my Redeemer, Jesus. Men, let's see where you're at. 
I'm going to extend the invitation another verse. And if God has happened to drop kick you in the chin, you need to respond. I guarantee you, you're not going to be content after this service. Because He's going to keep messing with you. I speak from experience. Are you hurting and broken within? There's a man. There's a man. There's a man. Follow your dad, boy. Of your goodness all over the 